Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. This is Carrie Lynn Evans welcoming you back to New Books and Secularism, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today I'm talking to Joseph Laycock about his new book, Speak of the Devil, How the Satanic Temple is Changing the Way We Talk About Religion. In 2013, when the state of Oklahoma erected a statue of the Ten Commandments on the grounds of the state capitol, a group calling themselves the Satanic Temple applied to erect a statue of Baphomet alongside the Judeo-Christian tablets. Since that time, the Satanic Temple has become a regular voice in national conversations about religious freedom, disestablishment, and government overreach. In addition to petitioning for Baphomet to appear alongside other monuments of the Ten Commandments in Arkansas, the group has launched campaigns to include Satanic nativity scenes on government property in Florida, Michigan, and Indiana, offer Satanic prayers at a high school football game in Seattle, and create after-school Satan programs in elementary schools that host Christian extracurricular programs. Since their 2012 founding, the Satanic Temple has established 19 chapters and now claims over 100,000 supporters. Is this just a political group perpetuating a series of stunts? Or is it a sincere religious movement? Speak of the Devil is the first book-length study of the Satanic Temple. Laycock contends that the emergence of political Satanism marks a significant moment in American religious history that will have a lasting impact on how Americans frame debates about religious freedom. Though the group gained attention for its strategic deployment of outrage, it claims to have developed beyond politics into a genuine religious movement. Equal parts history and ethnography, Speak of the Devil is Laycock's attempt to take seriously the Satanic Temple's work to redefine religion the nature of pluralism and religious tolerance, and what religious freedom means in America. Joseph Laycock is an associate professor of religious studies at Texas State University. He's written several books on new religious movements and American religious history, including one on role-playing games and the satanic panic. He's also a co-editor for the journal Nova Religio. He joins me today to talk about his new book. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books in Secularism. My name is Carrie Lynn Evans, and I'm joined today by Joseph Laycock to talk about his new book, Speak of the Devil. Joe, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. So let's start by talking a little bit about you, your background, and how you came to work in your field. Sure. So I'm an associate professor of religious studies at Texas State University, and I've been writing for a long time uh, for a, an online magazine called Religion Dispatches, um, and that's that's how I first uh, came into contact with uh, the Satanic Temple. So I'm, I'm, my research focuses on uh, new religious movements, uh, which is a category that would apply to the Satanic Temple, and I'm also interested in um, theory and method in religious studies, and particularly how we define uh, what religion is and, and what's at stake in, in that question. Right on. Okay, so how did you come to write this book in particular? Sure. So I first found out about the Satanic Temple, I think, in late 2013 when they offered to erect a statue of Baphomet, essentially a statue of the devil 
uh, at the Oklahoma State Capitol, and this was going to uh, be next to a, a statue of the, the Ten Commandments and sort of complement it and, and make the grounds into a, a religiously plural uh, uh, monument instead of just a, uh, an exclusively Christian or, or Abrahamic one. Uh, and so I set up an interview for the online magazine Religion Dispatches, and I spoke with Lucian Greaves, uh, who is sort of the, one of the co-founders of the, of the organization and its uh, spokesperson. And my editor at Religion Dispatches uh, loved the Satanic Temple. He said, this, this gets so many clicks every time they, they do something, uh, keep, keep covering them. Uh, and so I did a number of subsequent stories uh, on this group, and I got to know uh, a lot of them. And eventually, I noticed that even though I've been covering it for years, there were still lots of people who didn't understand what the Satanic Temple was about. Um, they felt very confident that this was obviously this kind of very funny prank. Uh, and that wasn't what I had found them to be through uh, interviewing them and um, knowing something about the, the community that was forming. So I want to do two things. I wanted to uh, first just have kind of a definitive history of this group that could serve as a baseline for uh, further research. And secondly, you know, I was interested in the Satanic Temple not just because they were spooky or funny or claimed to be Satanists, but because I saw the provocations that they were doing as really forcing this public conversation about what we consider religion to be and what we consider religious freedom and, and pluralism to be. And they were kind of uh, cornering people into saying what they really thought about these issues. So I was less interested in Satanism and more in how it was changing uh, our public conversation around these issues. Right. So let's start by discussing what the Satanic Temple actually is and what it is not. As you mentioned right at the beginning of your book, while the news media sees this organization as like fantastic fodder for clickbait titles, as you yourself experienced, um, much of the coverage is sensationalistic and, and really uninformed. And the more reactionary, of course, among the public are prone to confuse the Satanic Temple with Anton LaVey's Church of Satan or some kind of generic notion of Satanists who hold blood rituals and eat babies, for example, worship evangelical Christianity's notion of the ruler of hell. Um, now, my prior understanding was that this group was largely just a legal and political organization. But in your words, you suggest that in the context of religious studies, they're good to think with. They're more than all of these things. So tell us what you mean by this. Sure. So, so a big part of the, the problem is uh, the Satanic Temple does do these big public events, and they invite the media to come and attend. And then the media assumes that's all there is to this group, right, is the event that we got to go and see. That's not true. Um, the Satanic Temple consists of uh, chapters uh, all over uh the United States and, and Canada and, and even some other places around the world who meet regularly and they have what Christians would call fellowship, right? They, they get together, they have book clubs uh, to discuss philosophy, they do uh, uh, philanthropy, they, they do charity work together, and they have rituals together that the public is not invited to. So they're really, once you see the side of them beyond just what the media is aware of, it starts to look a lot more like what we would consider a religion to be, in the sense that there is uh, a community, there is um, a system of rituals, there is a code of ethics. Um, you know, in some of the court cases that have considered whether the Satanic Temple is a religion, they have said, "Well, this is a complete uh, worldview. It's not just one or two 
uh, uh, political issues that are, are important to them. So it does start to look a bit more like a, a religion. The only real argument that it isn't a religion is that they admit we don't believe in God and we don't believe in the devil. And this, uh, is, this is a position sometimes described as non-theistic Satanism, which uh, really you know, came into the forefront in 1966 when Anton LaVey uh, founded the, the Church of Satan in San Francisco. And LaVey was very clear that he, he did not believe in uh, Satan or the supernatural, but he saw black masses and satanic rituals as a kind of psychotherapy, right? A way of kind of uh, uh, dealing with the conditioning of, of growing up with uh, sort of overbearing uh, Christian attitudes. Uh, and it's important to remember that the founders of the Satanic Temple are members of Generation X, who lived through the satanic panic of the 1980s. Uh, and, and so LaVey's ideas about ritual and non-theistic Satanism uh, certainly shaped uh, uh, the way that they approach Satanism as a, as a secular religion. Um, however, I should mention that uh, the Satanic Temple and the Church of Satan are, are basically enemies at this point. Uh, and there's a number of reasons for that, uh, but one of them is uh, their, their politics are basically diametrically opposed. So uh, Anton LaVey was a big fan of Ayn Rand and her philosophy of objectivism, and their politics tend to be uh, pretty staunchly libertarian. And the Satanic Temple is basically uh, progressive around a, a lot of issues. Uh, and so uh, now the, the two have kind of uh, formed a big rivalry that plays out on uh, Twitter and other, <laughs> other parts of the internet, kind of sharing barbs with each other. Yeah, hopefully we'll get a chance to talk about that in more detail uh, a little later in the interview. Um, let's for now let's go back to um, the story that you alluded to earlier, the situation in Oklahoma, in which the Temple of Satan lobbied to erect uh, this the satanic statue on the grounds of the state capitol building right next to the Ten Commandments statue that was being planned for the spot, and that might be a story familiar to many of our listeners. So if you would, explain to us the legal issues at hand with this situation, how the Satanic Temple came to be involved, and then what ended up happening. Sure, and, and this is an area where the public really didn't understand what was, what was happening from a, a legal context. Uh, so in the 1970s, these Ten Commandment monuments were erected uh, all over America, uh, partly to uh, create excitement about the Charlton Heston movie, The Ten Commandments. And they stood in a couple of locations for uh, years. And then here in Austin, Texas, where I, I now sit, uh, there was one at the Texas State Capitol and someone sued and said, this is a violation of the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment. This is uh, a building where laws are made and it's, it has a, a clearly uh, Christian symbol on it. And this is giving a, a signal that our laws favor Christians and, and disfavor other types of religions. And I should mention here that uh, Protestantism, Catholicism, and Judaism have different versions of the Ten Commandments because they disagree about the numbering system, right? The Bible doesn't, doesn't label them as Ten Commandments. It doesn't uh, list them by numbers. So it was an explicitly Protestant version of the Ten Commandments. And this went to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court ruled in Van Orden v. Via Perry that the Texas Ten Commandments monument was okay, uh, partly because it had been there a long time and no one had ever complained, and also because the grounds of the Texas State Capitol have lots of monuments to lots of different things, and therefore there was this larger context. It wasn't just an endorsement 
of, of Christianity. And some critics of these kinds of rulings have said this basically turns the Supreme Court into interior decorators, <laughs> that they are being called on to, to ask, to, to make these aesthetic uh, judgments about what symbols uh, mean. So uh, fast forward to Oklahoma. Uh, Oklahoma uh, says, well, we're going to basically reverse engineer the Supreme Court uh, judgment and in Texas, we're going to start by creating a Ten Commandments monument, but we will eventually have other monuments later, and that will create a context in which uh, doing this is okay. And so it was at this point that this Tank Temple intervened and said, hey, we hear you're looking for monuments, right, so that what you do uh, will be legal and not an illegal government endorsement of, of religion, and have we got uh, a monument for you? And they uh, put in a request to erect this, this statue of Baphomet, and they began crowdfunding uh, money for it, and uh, CNN covered uh, uh, the story. And it was at this point that I contacted uh, Lucian Greaves uh, about this, um, you know, some people would call it a stunt, I would call it a provocation uh, that they were doing in, in Oklahoma. And uh, by this point, they had gotten thousands of dollars. A lot of people really wanted to get this statue uh, uh, built. And I said, are you seriously going to do this, or is this all a put-on? And Lucian Greaves said, well, at this point, we've crowdfunded thousands of dollars. Uh, I, I have to do what I said I was going to do with the money. There's no way for me to give it back. So, yes, we're, we're, we're going to build this uh, statue. Um, and it turned out that, uh, you know, the Constitution of Oklahoma also says you can't use government resources to endorse religion. So the, the Supreme Court of Oklahoma were actually the ones who said this uh, Ten Commandments monument has to come down. The Satanic Temple uh, had no direct influence on that decision. However, it's important to note that in, in, in the wake of that decision in Oklahoma, there were people in Oklahoma who simply said, let's rewrite our Constitution. Let's just take out the part of the state Constitution that says uh, you, you can't use government resources to endorse a particular religion. And when that conversation started, there were people who said, but what if those Satanists come back? <laughs> right? That clause is what's keeping the Satanists from trying to erect statues of, of the devil in our state. Um, maybe things were uh, working better than we thought when we just said uh, no religion can be endorsed by the government. So it was a really interesting example of how the Satanic Temple was kind of changing the calculus um, and changing the conversation uh, around these uh, issues of separation in churches and, and state. Because prior to that, if something like this happened, uh, politicians who had wanted to put up a Ten Commandments monument would just say, well, this is political correctness. And that would be the headline, and no one would have to think about the kind of larger uh, legal and constitutional issues that are actually what's moving the case, right? Uh, political correctness becomes a way of uh, framing us all in a victim narrative instead of just a, a legal one. Exactly. So clearly the Satanic Temple was already in existence before Oklahoma. So how did it begin? So the Satanic Temple really started at Harvard University. The two founders uh, who go by the pseudonyms Malcolm Jerry and Lucian Greaves uh, met at Harvard and they're both very interesting people. I've gotten to know them uh, very well. They're both uh, polymaths, so they're both musicians. They have musical projects. They are artists. They are, they are filmmakers. Um, and they have uh, a lot of degrees from Harvard. And they were friends, and they, had, they shared a lot of political views and, and things like this. Uh, uh, Lucian Greaves had been 
a Satanist uh, since high school and had had uh, some affiliation in the past with the, the Church of Satan, uh, Malcolm Jerry didn't have as much of a background in, in Satanism, but was very passionate about uh, education reform. That's an issue that's uh, important to him. And so this really began uh, when the state of Florida uh, passed a law that said uh, students can give inspirational messages in schools over the PA system. And this was a very thinly disguised way to kind of sneak prayer back into schools, right? The, uh, and of course, uh, American students are allowed to pray in public schools, but in the 1960s, the Supreme Court ruled, well, you can't actually make all the students stand up and say a prayer to God. That's a violation of the Establishment Clause if you're using the authority of the school to force students to say uh, a Christian prayer. So that was replaced with the moment of silence. Uh, and so the idea in Florida was, well, we're not forcing them to do anything. We're just giving a microphone to a Christian student's and then they can lead uh, the prayers. And the original draft of the law said prayers, and then that was changed to inspirational messages. Um, and so Malcolm Jerry uh, at, at Harvard was reading about this and was, was frustrated. And the law didn't say inspirational messages from Christians. It said inspirational messages from anyone. And so he had the idea to create a satanic organization that would hold a rally to honor uh, Rick Scott, who was then governor of Florida and an evangelical Christian, and basically uh, have Satanists in black robes on uh, the steps of the state capitol praising Rick Scott uh, for bringing Satanism into public schools. Uh, and, and they actually did this, uh, and you can watch it on, uh, on YouTube or in the documentary Hail Satan, and they're wearing devil horns, and they're saying, you know, Hail Satan, Hail Rick Scott. Uh, and it's, it's, it's quite funny to, to, to watch. And at the time, they just sort of created this, this group called the Satanic Temple. They didn't put a lot of thought into it. Um, although uh, Malcolm Jerry is um, uh, Jewish. I mean, he's, he's um, a secular uh, a Jew. Uh, and, and so there was some discussion of, well, temple is kind of a nod to, um, uh, the, you know, the, to, to Judaism as a kind of an oppressed uh, minority. Um, at any rate, they, they come up with this, this name. Um, they create kind of some fake theology uh, initially when they did this, uh, this provocation. Uh, and then Malcolm Jerry wrote uh, a paper uh, for Harvard about basically kind of this was the result of this, um, uh, this he, he called it a, a political action. Other people would call it a prank. Um, I, I call it a, a provocation. Um, and so, so that was kind of the beginning of the Satanic Temple. And then they did another, um, uh, another sort of provocation uh, targeting the Westboro Baptist Church. The Westboro Baptist Church came to Boston in the wake of the uh, Boston Marathon bombing. And we're going to use that as an opportunity to get a platform uh, for their, their views about um, anti-LGBT uh, hatred. Uh, and Malcolm Jerry and Lucian Greaves decided no one has ever gone on the offense with the Westboro Baptist Church. And so they drove down to Meridian, Mississippi. They found the grave of uh, the Westboro Baptist Church's leaders, uh, Fred Phelps's mother. And they said, we're doing a ritual over your mother's grave that's going to turn your mother gay in the afterlife. And this was vaguely inspired by uh, the Church of Latter-day Saints' idea of baptism for the dead. And this really got the Satanic Temple popular because everyone hates the Westboro Baptist Church. Uh, and they got all kinds of headlines on uh, websites like Vice 
and lots of um, outlets that cover um, gay news. Uh, and so that really got everyone um, interested in this movement. And, and then not long after that came the, the statue in Oklahoma. And by that point, there were people who were interested in this group who wanted to be part of what they were doing and were willing to uh, give them money. And so Malcolm Jerry and Lucian Greaves had a moment where they realized this is becoming a real thing. Um, this is not just sort of um, uh, a, a one-off. We have to get serious about what we're doing. And so it was around that time that they wrote The Seven Tenants. The Seven Tenants are sort of the philosophical foundation of the Satanic Temple. And nothing in The, the Seven Tenants was dishonest or disingenuine. That was all uh, ideas that they genuinely uh, believed. And so in those tenants, they, they say, uh, we, we only believe in what can be proven uh, by science. We are Satanists, but Satan is essentially uh, their favorite kind of fictional character. It's, they don't believe that they are doing anything uh, supernatural through, through their re- religion. Right. Wow. That's incredible. I, I have not heard the story of the Westboro Baptist Church um, ritual before, and I am thrilled to death to learn of it now. That's wonderful. Um, so next, your next chapter focuses on some fairly recent developments, some schisms within the satanic temple. Uh, in fact, you mentioned in your prologue that this was going on during the course of your research for this book and actually impacted some of the interviews you conducted with members. So what's going on here? Sure. So we have to remember the satanic temple is, is you know, only about 10 years old. It's, it's not even that old at this point. Um, and so it grew very rapidly. People all over uh, America and actually all over the world uh, wanted to be part of what the Satanic Temple was doing. And, and so it, it expanded very rapidly from being basically two or three people in, in Boston uh, to being thousands of people. And so they formed chapters. Um, and so one of the first chapters it formed was in uh, Detroit. Uh, led by a woman named uh, Jex Blackmore, who has a background in uh, um, actually opera. She was trained in opera, I believe, um, but in uh, performance art. Um, so so the, the Detroit chapter were performance artists. And soon they, they form uh, official chapters and they form a national council. And then it's also important to understand that during this period, you had people who were just creating a Facebook page that said, you know, the, the Satanic Temple Germany or something. And it had no, nothing to do um, with the actual organization, but there were people who just kind of uh, began imitating it. Um, and, and so there's this rapid attempt to impose some kind of order uh, onto this uh, for a number of reasons, right? Um, you, you, want it, you want everyone to kind of be on the same page about what they're doing, um, but there was a real concern that if one of these chapters is doing something illegal, like, say, engaging in an illegal form of protest or trying to uh, deplatform a, a group that they see as dangerous, um, that that could, that could bring the entire group under the scrutiny uh, of, of government agencies like the FBI, right? Uh, you, you don't want this newly created group to be, to be seen as a gang. Uh, and so uh, they formed a national council, and increasingly they began kind of controlling uh, what the chapters were allowed to do. And they had rules that if, if chapters want to do uh, some kind of uh, event or especially some kind of protest, they need to get prior approval. Uh, and of course, that could be a slow process because everyone on the TST National Council has a, has a day job uh, and is sort of doing this as, as volunteer work. 
Um, and, and so things really hit the fan in 2018. So I had already been doing my, my research. Uh, I've already been trying to interview as many people from different chapters around the world, um, as many as possible. And in 2018, several chapters break away um, in a pretty short period of time. And they say, we, we, we don't want to be part of this Tang Temple anymore. We still want to be Satanists. We still want to do uh, politically progressive, politically engaged, non-theistic Satanism. But we don't want to do this under the leadership of this Tang Temple anymore. And there's a number of reasons why these things happened. Um, one that was cited was um, an incident in which the TST, TST uh, uh, accepted the services of a lawyer named Mark Rendazzo. And a little bit of background about this, uh, uh, someone on Twitter uh, threatened or, or, or suggested that someone ought to burn down the Satanic Temple headquarters. So they have a headquarters in Salem, Massachusetts. It's a former uh, funeral home. And so it's zoned residential. So the first floor is a museum that you can go see. But the second floor is living space. And there are all, often uh, uh, people uh, living up there. Um, and, and so this was, a, this was a call to basically commit arson and burn down a, a building where people were, were living. And Lucian Greaves said, can everyone please report this person to Twitter? Because they are basically calling for uh, hate crimes on Twitter. And Twitter's rather ham-fisted response was to uh, suspend Lucian Greaves, right? And I, I guess to them, it looked like someone, uh, you know, trying to kind of sick a mob on, on one particular uh, a Twitter account. Um, and so by this point, uh, Greaves and Jerry were, were sort of frustrated with, you know, these kinds of problems with being treated differently because they are uh, uh, Satanists. And so they decided that they wanted to sue uh, Twitter. Uh, the Satanic Temple doesn't have any money, um, they're basically uh, perpetually in debt because of these uh, uh, legal cases that they, that they file. Uh, and so Mark Randaza uh, was a First, Atemment, uh, First Amendment uh, lawyer who was willing to take their case against Twitter for free. Um, but Mark Randaza is known for doing extremely controversial and distasteful uh, cases. So he had represented Alex Jones um, he had represented a lot of figures associated with the alt-right. Um, and so uh, this was a reason cited by a lot of chapters when they left TST in 2018. And in some of the reportage on this event, I think it was Jezebel did an article called The Satanic Civil War. Uh, they kind of framed it as, well, they, they got Mark Randaza and that was it, so everybody quit. I don't think that's what really happened. We know in the study of new religious movements that schisms are normal. Schisms are inevitable. The, the, the exception is groups like the Catholic Church where schisms are, are pretty rare. Uh, so I think this is going to happen anyway for a lot of reasons. And that the incident with Mark Randaza was either kind of the straw that broke the camel's back or it was... Um, it was a sort of thing that groups could cite to say, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving and I'm claiming the moral high ground. I don't work with lawyers from the alt-right. Uh, but for me as a researcher, this became uh, very difficult because I would have uh, people I would interview and they would say, I love the Satanic Temple. I'm, I'm so happy to be here. And then a few months later, they would say, uh, interview me again. Right? And they would say, well, I've left the Satanic Temple. It's a nasty, misogynistic, racist organization. And then there would be accusations from both sides, uh, which is also kind of par for the core about 
well, so-and-so acted inappropriately or so-and-so uh, did something with the money and it disappeared, um, you know, these kinds of kind of back and forth. I think some of my interview subjects thought I was like Robert Mueller or something, and that when the book came out, I would finally uh, uh, say what what really happened. And of course, I can't, you know, um, confirm or deny any of these accusations, right? Uh, I'm, I don't have the training to do that. And it's not my job. I can say, though, that my interviewees were legitimately upset. I mean, they legitimately felt uh, uh, hurt. Um, but again, I think this is fairly normal when uh, newly formed religious groups like this uh, tend to, to, to splinter uh, and, and fraction off. This is, we know from history, a fairly normal course of events. Yeah, that does make sense, just from a logical perspective, as, as something new is trying to establish exactly what they are. Um, do you have any feeling about um, how things might go for them moving forward? Yeah, so some people basically said, well, this is the end of the Satanic Temple. I mean, journalists said, and, you know, they, they, they had a, something going for a while there, and then they hired Mark Randaza, and now it's, it's over, right? Um, I don't think that's the case at all. Uh, I think the Satanic Temple still has um, a, a lot of fights uh, left in them. And very recently, after my book came out, in fact, um, they have dissolved the National uh, Council and they have created some kind of ordination program. So there is now um, basically a course of study with tests that people can take to become um, ministers in the Satanic Temple. I don't know if their title is going to be, you know, priest or, or minister or, or whatever, but they are going to have a trained uh, ministry. And then they are breaking the, uh, the, the structure of the temple up into congregations instead of chapters. Uh, that are focused around community um, and, you know, sort of having a, a religious community and then campaigns that deal with issues like uh, lawsuits and reproductive rights and other issues that are important to them and sort of trying to signal to their members, um, your congregation doesn't have to be part of these campaigns. You can kind of uh, pick what you would like to be uh, involved with here. As for all the groups who have left, as I said, they didn't stop doing what they were doing. Uh, they're just doing it now under a different name. So there are a lot of groups that began in the Satanic Temple uh, and now have names like Crossroads Assembly or Global Order of Satan and things like this. And they're doing very similar things, although sometimes with a different emphasis uh, and obviously very different ideas about how they think things should be organized and uh, structured. So I think that even if the Satanic Temple were to dissolve, it has left us this milieu of politically engaged progressive Satanism. And as I mentioned earlier, this is also significant because from 1966 until very recently, uh, Satanism was very much a conservative kind of affair. It was associated with right-wing politics. Uh, and so I think we are now seeing um, a really significant and lasting shift where Satanism is now becoming associated with with the left instead of with the with the right hmm. so that's going to happen whether or not uh the satanic temple continues for another decade or not hmm. yeah let's talk more about that polarization between the left and the right specifically the strained relationship between the satanic temple and levey's church of satan so first who's anton levey and how did the church of satan church of satan initially react to the emergence of tst let's talk about that 
Sure. So, so Anton LaVey is, you know, he's a, a really interesting, uh, a controversial uh, a figure. And uh, like a lot of founders of new religious movements, there are uh, different kind of versions of his biography. So a, a lot of the uh, claims about his life have been contested by historians. Uh, but what we do know is that he lived in San Francisco he was an expert on um, the occult, and he would have these kind of salons at his house um, where you could uh, go and, and hear a lecture on, you know, vampires or cannibalism or, or whatever, um, you, you know, he was lecturing about that night. Uh, if LeVay had lived in the time of YouTube, he would have had an amazing YouTube channel, right? And so he begins uh, charging a little money for these lectures um, for kind of an evening of entertainment. Um, and at some point, someone, possibly um, uh, a publicist, uh, tells him, you know, you could start your own religion. And so in 1966, he forms the Church of Satan, and he starts holding these big events uh, so that the, the public is invited to come watch uh, a satanic wedding. Um, or uh, he, had a, he had a satanic uh, baptism for one of his daughters. In fact, he did that baptism three times so that as many press as possible could come and take photos of it. And then one, eventually when a member of the Church of Satan uh, died, uh, he held a, a funeral for them. And this was all happening before the satanic uh, panic. And so when LeVay would do a black mass dressed in kind of the silly looking um, devil costume with, with horns, uh, it was just seen as this really interesting kind of quirky uh, uh, human interest story. Uh, it wasn't until later that people began trying to argue that the existence of the Church of Satan proved all of these wild conspiracy theories that, you know, Satan has secretly controlled the government or, or killed children or anything like this. Um, and then uh, uh, LeVay was asked to write a book, again, partly to piggyback on the success of the book uh, Rosemary's Baby, which came out um, in uh, 1967. The movie came out in 1968. Uh, and and that uh, book had a lot of um, sort of libertarian or objectivist uh, philosophy in it. And actually, it was eventually determined that much of that book or long passages of it had basically been plagiarized, uh, LeVay would say borrowed, uh, from a book called uh, uh, Might Makes Right that was sort of a, a screed arguing for uh, kind of a, a philosophy of um, the weak dominate or the, the strong dominating uh, uh, the weak. Uh, and, and so uh, a lot of the people that I uh, interviewed for uh, researching uh, the Satanic Temple have said I didn't like uh, LaVey's writings. I didn't like uh, the Satanic Bible because I didn't like uh, this idea of uh, stratifying society with a ruling class and a weaker class and, and, and so forth. So there was already that kind of um, uh, disagreement about politics. Um, some of LaVey's writings also come off as very misogynistic. Uh, today, um, they endorse social Darwinism and, and, and so forth. Um, the, the Church of Satan uh, shrunk rapidly within LaVey's uh, lifetime, and some historians of LaVey have said he didn't really want to run a big uh, religion, right? That he just sort of didn't have the time and energy uh, uh, to do something like that. Um, and so basically, by the time people like Lucian Greaves were getting involved in Satanism, mostly being involved in the Church of Satan meant you bought a membership card uh, over the internet and that kind of made you an official member. And that was about as real as it got. There would maybe be 
you know, meetings once a year or something like that, that a few people could, could go to, but they weren't doing very much. And this bothered Lucian Greaves. Uh, and so when the Tang Temple began getting all these headlines, um, you know, some people said, I think the Church of Satan is jealous, right? That they are kind of um, aging and not well organized and don't have a lot of infrastructure. And this Tang Temple is, is stealing all the headlines. The other part of this, though, is that especially in the beginning, every time the Satanic Temple did something, the headline would say, Church of Satan, (laughs) which I can't imagine how frustrating that would be to have this group uh, whose politics are diametrically opposed to yours, um, and and you're being blamed for or credited with uh, everything that they do. Um, So the Church of Satan has said, um, you know, the Satanic Temple doesn't understand real Satanism. They're not Satanists at all. Uh, You know, uh, they don't understand LaVey's philosophy. And the Tang Temple has basically said, we don't care about LaVey. We're taking our cues not from LaVey, but from uh, the romantic Satanists of the 1800s. We're taking our idea of Satan from Milton, uh, from Lord Byron, uh, from Shelley, uh, uh, from people like this. And if you go visit the Tang Temple headquarters, they have a library called the Panic Room. And it's full of books on the history of Satanism and Satanic Panic. And there is not a single book there written by Anton LaVey, uh, which was obviously very conspicuous uh, by its absence. Um, So there's a really kind of strained relationship there and an attempt to kind of uh, redefine Satanism without LaVey. But of course, most historians of religious Satanism have said you can't ever cut LaVey out of the story of of, of Satanism because without LaVey, you know, we, we wouldn't, Satanism wouldn't be a real religion. It would exist only kind of in the uh, imaginations of, um, you know, conspiracy theorists. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, so you mentioned that the uh, Satanic Temple's encounters with LeVay have led them to a kind of reformation of religious Satanism, uh, which I think you kind of alluded to there with the Romantic authors. But could you speak more on that? Sure. So at, at some point, someone said, you know, this, this seems like uh, the, the Protestant Reformation, right? Um, this kind of uh, movement to uh, redefine and uh, reimagine uh, uh, what Satanism could be. Um, and then, of course, that raises the question of, well, if we're going to compare this to the Protestant Reformation, uh, who, are the, who are the Catholics and, and who are the Protestants? But I think in this metaphor, um, the, the Church of Satan is a little bit like the Catholic Church in saying, you know, this is how Satanism has always been done, uh, how it always needs to be done. Uh, you can't do Satanism without deference to the ideas and writings of Anton LaVey. And uh, then you have uh, the Tang Temple uh, saying, well, why can't we? And we're, we're appealing to a different authority and we're appealing to uh, a textual authority, right? That um, Milton didn't know about LaVey, right? So we're going back to, uh, 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 to Milton. Um, so it's, it's kind of an interesting uh, moment. And as I've said, I think the most interesting thing for the history of religious Satanism is the shift from Satanism being associated very strongly with right-wing politics and libertarianism to being associated with uh, progressive uh, politics. 
Yeah. So let's drill down further into some of those issues, especially through the legal dimensions. Um, you discuss how the Satanic Temple's use of the law is shaping the category of religion uh, in the United States, especially, and how we see its relationship to or separation from the state. So tell us more about their work in this area. Sure. I mean, I think this is kind of their big issue is uh, the separation of church and state. Uh, and you know, going back to the, to the Baphomet statue and their way of kind of forcing the issue is, is relatively simple, which is basically just demonstrating if you want to give government resources or a government platform to Christianity, you have to do it for Satanists also. And, and basically just forcing the public to think about, is that really what you want to do? So their very first provocation was saying, you know, people of Florida, you may think it's a great idea to let uh, Christian high school students give inspirational messages over the PA system, but would you want a satanic high schooler to be able to to do that? Um, and so this is kind of be called Lucian's Law, uh, which is basically the thesis that um, if uh, Satanists are given the same access uh, to a government-controlled space as Christians, uh, the public will want to enforce a staunch secularism, right? They would, they would rather not have uh, Christianity than uh, share uh, the platform with, uh, with, with Satanists. Um, some of the other campaigns that they've done in this area, um, in Florida, there was a school that said that um, religious, religious literature could be distributed. And so there was a ministry that was delivering Bibles and things like this in the Florida public school. And the Satanic Temple made a coloring book. It's called the Satanic Temple... Um, coloring book for children or something like this. Malcolm Jerry created this book, um, you know, and it was inspired by looking at children's placemats and restaurants and things like that. There is nothing inherently objectionable about it. So for example, there's a word jumble and, you know, children are encouraged to look for words like tolerance and compassion and things like this in the word jumble, but it says satanic on the cover and the children in all the activities have, you know, little pentagram T-shirts and things like that that they're wearing. And so in Florida, they said, look, if you can hand out religious literature, then we're going to give out the, the satanic coloring book. And as they predicted, uh, the, the school changed their policy and said, well, no religious literature can be distributed here. Uh, the ministry with the Bibles has to leave because that's the price we're going to pay uh, to keep the satanic coloring book from, from getting a platform. Another area where this happens a lot is uh, around the holidays. Um, people, uh, different uh, religious groups, different churches will come and set up uh, Christmas displays on uh, government property at state capitals and courthouses and things like this. And legally, the courthouses get around this by saying, um, you know, we are a public forum during the holidays, right? And the Tang Temple will say, okay, well, if you're a public forum, if anyone can come and uh, uh, share their views, then we're going to create a satanic uh, Christmas display. And so they have done a number of really interesting looking uh, uh, satanic holiday displays with, you know, giant snakes, or they did one in Michigan of just uh, the arm of Eve grasping an apple with a snake coiling around it and things like this. Uh, and a lot of Christians have been horrified by this and have said, you're just sort of trying to ruin Christmas. Christmas is a Christian holiday. It's not a satanic holiday. Why are you doing this? And their response has basically been, there's no reason you can't celebrate Christmas and put up displays at your church. You are only doing this at the courthouse as kind of a way to flaunt your, your power, right? As a way to 
uh, signal to everyone that your religion is privileged in ways that, that, that ours uh, are not. Um, and a, another arena where this is happening is prayer invocations. So a lot of communities, when they have town hall meetings or city council meetings, uh, will have a pastor come in and give a Christian prayer uh, before the, the meeting. Um, and the Satang Temple has attempted to give prayers uh, as well. And there was a Supreme Court case in 2010 where the Supreme Court said you do have to let everybody have a chance uh, uh, to pray. It can't be only uh, uh, Christians. Um, and they tried to do this in Arizona. And uh, the town of Scottsdale basically retroactively passed new laws to keep them from doing this. They actually had been scheduled to come in and give a satanic uh, prayer invocation. So that uh, court case, I think, just went before the Ninth Circuit. So it's winding its way through uh, federal courts. But they have a number of lawsuits uh, around the country involving um, all of these kinds of very complicated uh, legal loopholes at different uh, communities are, are using to basically have um, invocations from Christian ministers every week and then making sure that Satanists never get uh, the opportunity uh, to give that invocation. Um, and, and so this is also uh, an example of how they're changing the conversation and that usually these city councils don't even have a policy um, about who gets to give the prayer invocation or why. It's only when the Satanists show up that they begin uh, calling their lawyer and actually creating a policy. Um, so this is another example where they are sort of forcing th people to think about things uh, that they never really thought about before that have sort of always been um, a, a particular way. Right. So you argue that the satanic temple's work can be considered what you call serious parody and that they're not mere pranksters or trolls of religion at all. So can you say more about what makes you confident of that? Sure. I mean, the most obvious thing is uh, everything that the Satanic Temple does has a very clear political goal. And Malcolm Jerry has actually written manifestos on his theory of political protest and has said you always have to have the goal in sight and you have to uh, have a theory of how the tactics and the movements that you were doing are going to lead directly to that goal. Uh, and so Malcolm Jerry is actually very critical of uh, movements that just have kind of big rallies with no clear actual objectives. So uh, after Trump was elected, he he described his frustration with the Women's March that was organized. And he said, you know, it's, look at all this energy that was created by the Women's March, but there's no actual uh, a way to do anything with it, right? All it really did was just show that, you know, <laughs> women are important and are politically active, right? But where's the goal? So everything that TST does is it, it may come off as amusing or funny. And I think that they do have a very cultivated sense of, of irony, but the goal is never the humor. The humor is always uh, side effects. They also get compared a lot with the pastafarians or the flying spaghetti monster. And I think there's important similarities and differences there. So um, the idea of the, the flying spaghetti monster began as a protest in the state of Kansas uh, as a way of kind of satirizing um, uh, the school board who said that half of science class can be given to the theory of evolution and half can be given to the theory of intelligent design, which is essentially a religious theory that, that life was created by God. And this was a, a, a screed basically saying, well, I believe the world was created by a flying spaghetti monster. And so it should be one third intelligent design, one third flying spaghetti monster and one third 
logical deduction based on empirical evidence, right? Um, and so it was, it was funny. It was making a point. The difference is Pastafarians, so far as I can tell, do not actually believe that the universe was created by a flying spaghetti monster. It is not a true belief. By, by contrast, with the Satanic Temple, if you read the seven tenets, they actually believe everything in those seven tenets. Um, so, so I think a lot of this is funny, and I think that many members of the Satanic Temple kind of are aware that this is humorous, and they kind of they're having fun doing it. Um, but it is serious, right? And and maybe the the biggest sign that it's serious is in 2018 when they held a rally in Arkansas. They actually put the Baphomet statue on a flatbed truck and drove it down to Arkansas, where they are having another lawsuit about uh, a Ten Commandments monument that was recently erected at the the Capitol there. And the Ku Klux Klan said, we are going to come and hold a counter rally. And various uh, neo-Nazi groups um, said, we're going to come and we're going to bring our our firearms. And uh, I was going down to Arkansas to cover this for Religion Dispatches. And Lucian Greaves called me and said, "Uh, I've bought a bulletproof vest. And I said, "Uh, you know, Lucian, why are you telling me this? Do you want me to put this in Religion Dispatches? And he said, no, 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 don't, don't publish it. They'll shoot me in the head. (laughs) <laughs> and I said, well, why are you telling me this? He said, well, I just want you to know um, that we have some uh, security concerns, and so I'm, I'm going to be wearing a, a bulletproof vest. And the event uh, was fine, but there was, you know, 100 police officers present, um, and I did see uh, neo-Nazis who I believe were, were armed and had come with the intention of um, causing an incident that would justify them using those firearms or, or, or using violence. Um, and, and so this is important to think about when people say, oh, they're just trolls. It's just a prank. They're just tricking everybody. Um, not many people are willing to get shot for the sake of a prank, right? Um, so I, I do think that people like Lucian Greaves are, are totally serious about what they're doing. It is, in the words of theologian Paul Tillich, an ultimate concern, right, to, for them to do the work uh, of the Satanic Temple. So I, I really think it is quite ludicrous at this point to dismiss everything that they are doing as some kind of prank or, or trolling. Right. So next you talk about how the satanic temple prompts a sophisticated examination of evil, which is a concept which really in our society totally goes unexamined and just assumed. Um, so you say that by presenting themselves as quote, good Satanists, um, uh, the satanic temple effectively works towards exposing this notion of evil as in fact, a tool for social control. I really like this idea because I've always felt that evil is a concept that belongs really only in the Christian paradigm. Uh, I feel like it takes the basic secular universal notion of immorality and then imbues it with all kinds of additional trappings and significance and stories that are really only meaningful in a Christian worldview. So I love the idea that here the satanic temple is able to use their religion's unique character to expose the pernicious creep of these religious ideas into areas that are close to home for any person and not just those involved in law and government or school administration or stuff like this. So can you talk about that a little bit more? Sure. You know, one of the people on my dissertation committee um, at Boston University was David Frankfurter. David Frankfurter did a book called Evil Incarnate, where he was looking at things like witchcraft trials and the satanic panic of the 1980s and, and basically asking the question of, why is it over and over again throughout history, 
people make up these horrible stories that somewhere out there are people who murder children and have incestuous orgies uh, just because they, they worship evil, right, for, for the sake of evil. And what he argues in that book is he says evil is a discourse, right? Evil is um, a way of talking about things, of, of explaining things, and of mobilizing certain uh, uh, social forces. And in an interview about the book, he said evil is essentially intellectual laziness, right? The, the world is a very complicated place. Ethics and morality can get very complicated. And evil is kind of a way of just shutting all of that down um, and just saying, no, 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 it's evil, right? End of, end of discussion. Um, and so the Satanic Temple is very aware that they are kind of adopting um, this, this sort of mythic uh, association of, of evil, right? Um, and the assumption of most historians is that Satanism historically didn't exist, right? It was made up in, um, you know, about the, the 1500s um, at, to kind of advance the interests of a certain religious organizations. So, for example... Uh, not long after the Catholic Church, um, you know, promulgated the doctrine of transubstantiation, that um, the, the communion host actually becomes the body of Christ, we started seeing these uh, rumors of host desecrations, that Jews or Satanists were trying to steal the consecrated hosts and torture them, right? And the argument was basically, if this isn't true, if transubstantiation isn't really real, then why are the Satanists always trying to do these things, right? Why would they do this unless we were truly on the, the side of God? And, and, and Frankfurter would say this is one of the functions of conspiracy theories of evil, like um, uh, rumors of Satanism, is that if the bad guys are that evil, then you must be on the side of the angels, right? Because why would you have such monstrous uh, enemies? And so the Satanic Temple is, I call this hijacking the discourse of evil. And they're saying we are Satanists, and yet we are doing philanthropy. Uh, we are not harming people. Um, a, a big issue for Malcolm Jerry, as someone interested in education, is corporal punishment. So one of their um, uh, campaign goals was uh, trying to create a... a uh, 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 pa legal paperwork so that if you were going to be, say, paddled in a public school, which does still go on in rural schools in certain parts of the United States, you could say, um, this is against my religion as a Satanist, right? If you um, paddle me, you are breaking my constitutional rights. And so the Satanic Temple has made billboards that said, our religion doesn't believe in hurting children, right? <laughs> the implication being Christians who are supposed to be the good guys, many of them are fine with, uh, with, with beating children. Um, and so what all of this is designed to do is uh, cast doubt on these ideas that Christians are the good guys and everything they do is good and Satanists are the bad guys and everything that they do is bad. And what Lucian Greaves have said is we, we want people to be judged not by their group affiliation, but by their actual actions. We want people to judge are their actions good or, or bad? Are they causing harm or are they, are they helping people? And that should that should be the basis. And so it's sort of undermining this kind of moral capital that Christianity has has acquired over the centuries. And what I find really interesting is that of, of TST's critics on the right, um, and it's, it's Christian critics, they are most upset when TST does philanthropy work. So they spend a lot of time with these kind of very cleverly named projects, like um, they, did a, they did a project to raise, uh, to, to find winter clothing for the homeless. It was called Warmer Than Hell. 
they've adopted highways and beaches. Uh, the Arizona chapter, I believe one of them is a blacksmith, and he made them these little devil pitchforks that they use to clean up the highway and things like this. And uh, so it's very interesting to me that that actually seems to be the most transgressive thing that the Satanists do. That's, that's what's most upsetting in these op-eds that I read where people are saying, can you believe that Satanists have the audacity to clean up a highway or to help the homeless, right? And sometimes they will even say, well, then you're not real Satanists, right? Satanists do what we imagine that they do. And if you're, if you're not really doing those things, if you're not really hurting babies and things like that, um, then, then you're not Satanists, right? This is, this is all just kind of a, a, a trolling or something like this. So the fact that there is this resistance uh, to TST saying we are uh, ethical, um, good citizen Satanists, I find very interesting, because what that signals to me is that there is something at stake in this idea of there are people out there who are are evil Satanists. That has value uh, for certain uh, uh, Christian groups, and they don't like to see that kind of tool of how they organize the world uh, being hijacked. The other side of this, though, is that it's a risky strategy, the, the hijacking the, the discourse of evil, because uh, other groups would say, well, when TST is uh, pro-choice, when they do pro-choice campaigns, this proves what we've always said, right, is that people who uh, believe in a woman's right to abortion uh, don't just have a different political view. They're actually evil, right? They're actually engaged in Satanism. They're actually uh, historically connected to uh, children being sacrificed to Baal as described in the Hebrew Bible. Uh, and, and so sometimes they kind of inadvertently are giving ammunition to their, uh, their political opponents. So it remains to be seen, I think, how successful the strategy will, will actually be. I see it as a really interesting uh, kind of a gamble in that sense. Yeah, it is interesting. And it occurs to me, too, that a lot of the source for the humor that you just kind of can't escape from, like this idea of the pitchforks cleaning up the the highway is hilarious to me. But a lot of the humor comes from the sheer amount of energy that the uh, that Catholicism, um, especially the medieval kind of stories about about what Satan is and all of this symbolism and imagery that has that they've supplied it turns around and becomes a source of the humor as well which i just i don't know what to make of that i just find that funny well i talk very briefly in the book about uh, a theory of humor and and the theory goes that basically there's there's kind of three reasons people might laugh and one is basically something bad happened to you and i'm having schadenfreude which is a lot of humor and one is kind of social lubrication. I'm, I'm anxious, so I'm going to laugh a little to, to lubricate the situation. And then a third is incongruity, right? The, the humor revealed something uh, about how the world is organized that was always there, but doesn't really make sense. And, and that's why it's funny. I mean, this is, this, this is kind of humor of like Jerry Seinfeld, right? Like, why do we uh, drive on parkways and we park in the driveway, right? And, and I think a lot of the humor of the Stang Temple is funny because it is revealing those incongruities, right? Why can't a Satanist clean up a highway, right? Why are Christians the ones arguing for why it's okay to beat your kids and the Satanists are the ones uh, opposing it? It's funny because it's it's toying with these categories that we've taken for granted for so long. Absolutely. 
So finally, you look at how TST is affecting the notion of religious pluralism in the United States and exposing how, in reality, religious pluralism is limited and privileges some religious groups over others. And I think many Muslims in America would agree with you here. Uh, So maybe let's start by giving us the background on what religious pluralism means and how you became interested in thinking about it. Sure. So there's different definitions of, of pluralism. Um, on its most basic level, pluralism could just mean tolerance and acceptance of other religions. And in that sense, the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution is pluralist in that it says you know, the government can't favor one religion and you have a right to exercise your religion uh, as, as you want. That applies to all religions, not just certain ones. However, Um, When I was a student at Harvard Divinity School, my thinking on this was shaped very much by Diana Eck, who founded a group called the the Pluralism Project. And her model of pluralism is that, you know, difference shouldn't just be tolerated, that if possible, it should be celebrated, right? That we should uh, know about um, our Muslim neighbors and what holidays they have, and we should know about uh, where the, the Hindu and Buddhist temples are in our city and so forth, and that we should have kind of an appreciation um, for those those differences. And I think that's a really beautiful idea that's that's worth pursuing. Um, Russell McCutcheon is another thinker whose who's work has influenced me. And he's basically said, look, this is hopelessly naive, right? Um, you know, someone who believes that we have to bomb abortion clinics, right, in the, in the name of, of God, um, that's a different religion for me, but how am I supposed to celebrate that? Right. Um, There there are gaps here that can't really be crossed. And really, Russell McCutcheon would say the type of pluralism that that someone like Diana Eck is calling for can really only exist between Christianity and and other big world religions that can present themselves in a way that's basically similar to Christianity. It's not really celebrating difference. Right. It's a bunch of kind of civic minded mildly progressive Christians getting together with civic-minded, mildly progressive Buddhists and Jews and, and, and Muslims. That's the, that's the critique, right? Um, and, and so I find the Satanic Temple to be a really interesting test case for this because the Satanic Temple doesn't want to bomb anything. They're not doing anything illegal. Um, and they're, they're really not doing anything that's sort of objectively wrong or objectionable. And yet, they're very, very different, right? And when they hold rituals where they are um, siding with with Satan and sort of uh, doing blasphemy, so they will do things like burn Bibles and things like this and, and do unbaptisms, that's very, very different from our, our Christian culture, um, you know, the majority Christian culture in, in, in America. Uh, and, and so one of the instances I talk about in the book is at Harvard, which is where TST began, um, they tried to hold a black mass through um, a student cultural studies club. And technically, it was not a black mass. Technically, it was a reenactment of a black mass. So as I understand it, what they would have done uh, is they would have basically said, you know, this is this legend of what people did in the Middle Ages. Uh, and they probably would have used a script from a novel from the 19th century called La Basse, written by a, a Catholic a novelist kind of describing how he imagined these these rituals uh, occurred. Uh, but when they announced that they wanted to do this, overwhelmingly, Harvard just said, absolutely not, right? Uh, and the Harvard chaplains uh, signed uh, a document saying, we encourage everyone to not attend this. 
uh, because this is hateful and evil. Uh, the Harvard Crimson had an op-ed by a student saying at black masses, uh, they kill babies. Uh, presumably the student didn't really believe they were going to kill a baby, right? Um, but this was, so as someone who attended Harvard Divinity School, I was very disappointed by this response because I thought no one even asked the Satanists what they were going to do. You just assumed that this was going to comport with these kinds of rituals of evil that people like David Frankfurter have have, have talked about and all the baggage that uh, that went with it. Uh, so I felt like Harvard was given a real test of kind of, are you as, are you really as pluralistic and open-minded as you say you are? And as I think you give yourselves a pat on the back for doing a lot of the time, or if you have something that's really a challenge, will you, will you just fail it? And in this case, I really feel um, that, that Harvard failed it. Uh, I did correspond a little bit with uh, Francis X. Clooney, who is a Jesuit and also a highly respected scholar of, of Hinduism at Harvard Divinity School. And to his credit, he did communicate with Lucian Greaves and just asked, you know, I study ritual. What are you guys going to do? And he did say, you know, traditionally a black mass needs a, a consecrated host. Are you going to steal a, a consecrated uh, host? Uh, and Lucian Greaves actually said that they were not, uh, but the Boston Catholic community became um, sort of obsessed with the idea that they were. And they said, well, we can't, trust you uh, when you say that because you're a Satanist, right? Satanists are not to be trusted. In fact, the Diocese of Boston even released a statement telling people, don't ask the Satanists what they think Satanism is, right? <laughs> Only listen to Catholics about what Satanism and, and, and the Black Mass is. Uh, so it was just a very kind of frustrating uh, uh, situation. And I hope that some people will be thoughtful about it and, and think harder about how pluralism actually is a big challenge, right? It's not just sort of, I don't think my neighbors are going to hell because they're a different religion from me. And I'll say one more thing, which was uh, Michael Muhammad Knight is a well-known Muslim uh, writer who was a student at Harvard Divinity School at the time. And he actually did write an essay saying Muslims should uh, sympathize with the Satanic Temple because this is a case of a very small religion uh, basically being shut down um, w- without uh, any consideration, uh, basically because uh, the, the majority can, right? They don't have the power, uh, and so they're, they're, they're going to do it. And Muslims, as another minority religion, should, uh, uh, whether or not they agree with the Satanic Temple, be alarmed uh, when that happens. So in your conclusion, you characterize TST as the American countermyth, saying that it is, and I'll quote you here, Ultimately, a symbolic articulation of a deeper stratum of social thought negotiating the narrative our society tells us or tells itself, tells about itself. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, please tell us more about this. Sure. So that term countermyth, I believe that that came from Stu DeHaan. Stu DeHaan uh, is an attorney uh, and a TST member who was very involved in their lawsuit with, uh, with Scottsdale uh, in, in Arizona. Um, but but I think what they are trying to do is um, kind of appeal to other American values besides this idea that America is a Christian uh, a country, right? And say, you know, look, we, you know, America was founded on ideas of pluralism and freedom and free speech and self-determination. And doesn't that matter, right? Isn't that more important than the fact that the majority of Americans have uh, historically been uh, a Christian? And because, after all, the, the kind of founding myth of America is Americans revolted against tyranny, right? I mean, we can 
We can quibble historically about the actual reasons for the American Revolution, but that's kind of the great myth, right? Is that Americans didn't have their freedom and they they were brave and they and, and they fought for it. That has a certain resonance with the Satan of Milton, right? Of sort of it doesn't matter if my opponent is is stronger than me, they're in the wrong, and I'm going to 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 resist no matter what. Um, and the other thing I, I talk about in the conclusion is there is a long history. Um, in, in America, of voices kind of siding with Satan, right, as, as the force that is resisting uh, authority or the, or the force that is uh, resisting power. So I found um, uh, a letter from Bartolome de las Casas, who was a, a Spanish uh, miss, missionary uh, in, in Cuba, uh, who began to plead on behalf of the native peoples. And he's describing uh, this Cuban uh, chieftain who is being burnt at the stake uh, by the Spanish, he's only recently learned about Christianity, and he tells them, well, I hope I go to hell then, because at least there won't be any Spanish uh, to bother me in the afterlife. And De La Casas is saying, this is, this is a problem, right? We are literally driving people in the arms of the devil with our behavior. Uh, I found an account of uh, a, an enslaved conjure man in the uh, antebellum South, um, who says, well, white people don't fear God, but they fear the devil, right? And so he uh, he, he begins praying to the, the devil. Um, so there's a kind of a long history of this. So in that way, even though Satanism is something new, and it's something that probably began in 1966, uh, it does have this very interesting pedigree in American thought and the way that kind of Americans think about uh, th- these categories of a good and evil, and then power and, and oppression. Um, so, so those are kind of things that are drawn on and forming a, a counter myth to the idea that America is a Christian nation. Right. And so I want to end on this idea of the big picture. Uh, why does the Satanic Temple matter today, and how might it continue to matter into the future? Right. Well, sociologists know that um, Christianity has begun to shrink a little bit in, in North America. It's still obviously a really powerful dominant force in, in our politics. Uh, but millennials in, in droves became nuns. They became people described as having uh, a no religion. Uh, and I think that um, you know, there's an interesting kind of chain reaction here. I, I think that the reason that pe- places like Oklahoma and Arkansas are putting up Ten Commandments monuments where they've never existed before is because they realize Christianity is losing its political power. So they're basically trying to use the state to prop up power that before they had always had uh, through sheer numbers. But as they do that, they are um, infuriating certain people, right, and driving them into the arms uh, of the Satanic Temple. Um, And so I see the Satanic Temple as kind of filling a need. It's filling a need for um, a a resistance to kind of the politics of Trump and, you know, Christian, basically Christian dominionism, trying to reclaim the American government for Christianity. But it's also filling, I think, a spiritual need. I think there are a lot of people who I talked to in the same temple who said, I want a community, I want ritual, I want a sense of kind of sacred symbols and stories, but I don't want to have to say that I believe in things that I don't really believe in. Um, so, you know, some people even suggested that you know, we may start seeing kind of forms of Christianity that are similar to the Satanic Temple in the sense of this isn't really about intellectual propositions like God or the afterlife that you have to accept uh, to be a member of it, but it's it's about community. It's front-loading um, the community. So in that sense, I see TST as being part of a, 
a larger cultural shift about what it means to be a religious person, um, especially in kind of a post a post Christian dominated culture. Right. Well, Joe, I've taken up a lot of your time. I want to thank you very much for spending this good Friday with me to talk about the Satanic Temple. <laughs> but before we go, can you tell us what you're currently working on? Sure. Uh, I had another book come out after uh, Speak of the Devil. It's the Penguin Book of Exorcisms. Um, so that's another uh, subject that I, I research and, and, and teach on. Um, it's got uh, uh, firsthand accounts of, of exorcisms from throughout history and, and different religions. Um, and, and now I'm working on a, a, a textbook for, for Rutledge on new religious movements. That's my next project. Okay. Fantastic. Well, yeah, thanks again. I so enjoyed learning more about the Satanic Temple. Uh, it was just a pleasure to listen to your very articulate history of that. So thanks so much. Really enjoyed the book. Really glad to have a chance to talk with you in person about it. Well, thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. We'll talk to you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.